Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I'm going to chat about the six pillars of health and what Ayurveda says about them. So this is a topic that came to mind as I was reading um, the Star Tribune, which is a local um, paper here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and it had an article and I cannot, I wanted to link it in the blog. And of course I cannot find it. I was Googling it and they buried it. And I think for good reason, because this article um, talked about the six pillars of health and it was a new study that Mayo Clinic just um, released. And so with this, they had said that if people followed these six pillars of health that could reduce chronic disease, get this by 70 to 80%. That is a huge number. And that was again, from the Mayo Clinic. And so I was like, I I have to read this article. So I looked through the six pillars and I'm like, wow, this is very interesting. This is basically six pillars of Ayurveda. I mean, this is stuff that Ayurveda has said for years. Um, and I'm like, this is, this is great news. I mean, these are, these are things that we can easily implement. And I'm going to share with you what these pillars are. And we're going to probably, you probably all of us do. We have one of these, it might be a little bit of more of a sticky pillar for us and one that we want to work on. So let's just share a little bit about these pillars and, um, some of them I'm going to go more in depth on in a future solo podcast, just because I want to just to kind of give you an overview. So just know, I'll, I'll tell you when I'm going to share a little bit more later, um, on a later date, but let's start with pillar one, pillar one for them, avoid substances, substances, um, such as drugs and alcohol. So that might be a pretty obvious one, but it is a vital one. Alcohol is probably going to be the trickier one for people. And it's a more socially acceptable drug, you know, and I was recently reading a book called quit like a woman by Holly Whitaker. And that's a great book for anyone out there. Who's like sober curious or wanting to know um, how to work with clients more around their uh, alcohol use. That would be a great book to, to dive into. Um, It gave it a different perspective than AA. So maybe if people have tried AA in the past and you're looking for something else to give them as suggestions, that might be a book to explore. Or if you personally want to explore it, that would be a good book just to kind of read um, some perspective on it and how to get people um, who are wanting to make those changes, maybe giving a few suggestions. So that was a book that I read um, just for some research on it. And you know what? The first chapter, I think it was in the first, first couple chapters, at least they gave some, um, eye-opening stats about alcohol, which I did not know, you know, and I still do, you know, have glasses of wine on occasion. Um, and so for me, once I read this, I was like, woof, and I, I did not drink for quite a few months here. Cause I was like, wow, these are, these are some, these are some side effects. So these are short to medium effects of drinking alcohol. And I'm just going to read you what she had written in her book. So it disrupts your sleep and sleep is actually uh, spoiler alert, pillar number two today. So that's, that's why it matters. We'll touch on that later. It fuels anxiety. Often we think of alcohol as something that relaxes, but actually it makes us more anxious. It impedes detoxification. And we're going to go deeper on that in January, which is going to be all about the liver. It causes weight gain or interferes with weight loss causes facial redness or broken capillaries. It messes up your brain. Um, it, it uh, disrupts your blood sugar balance. It disrupts hormone function. So it increases the um, endocrine and um, estrogen in your body. It's linked to seven different cancers. It causes premature aging and it destroys your gut health. So needless to say, that is a long list and something that you're like, wow, that, that is pretty intense. So I'm just going to leave that there and let you explore that on your own. If you want to um, dive deeper into it. 
Uh, but I think it's something that we all kind of intuitively knew, like this may be not the best habit to have. And those are some reasons why. So pillar number three that you want to look at, if you were wanting to reduce the chronic disease uh, by 70 to 80%, focusing on sleep. So sleep is essential to both our physiological and our cognitive functioning. And if for anyone who's had a baby, you know how much you need your sleep, because when you're getting up in the middle of the night to take care of a little one, that insomnia is real. And that, um, that just feel of just being so tired, um, that is really wearing on the body and on the mind. And the same thing, I have many people who suffer from insomnia, especially over this past year, you know, sleep is something that maybe some of us took for granted until this last year, when all of the stress hormones and everything that happened, Um, you know, it's kept us up at night. And so that's something to kind of, you know, tap into. So I'm going to do it from an Ayurvedic perspective and tap into it on the doshas. So, um, the Vata dosha here is, I'm just going to describe sleep actually, before I even dive into that in three different phases. So in the Vata dosha, Pitta dosha and Kapha dosha, and I'm going to talk in January more about sleep hygiene and how we can kind of, um, situate these doshas. So right now you can maybe just see yourself in one. And, um, you know, tune back into one of the episodes where I talked about those doshas. So you can kind of ground yourself down in that. Um, and then I'm going to give more specific sleep hygiene in, um, January, 2022. Okay. So Vata dosha, here's what a Vata dosha tends to be like as a sleeper. They are irregular and light sleepers. So that means like any little noise, they are just instantly up. They usually enjoy a soft bed because it cushions maybe their smaller frames. So remember that Vata dosha tends to have more, um, you know, bony and less fat. And so that's where that soft cushion helps them. So they're not, they're not feeling like, Ooh, you know, that my elbow is, you know, jutting into a hard mattress or my hip next up tendency to grind their teeth, sleepwalk or talk in their sleep. The dreams that you might be having for a, for a Vata dosha. They can be more spacious or airy, focusing on movement. So lots going on and they're often adventure or being chased. So kind of that thrill. And then often Vata doshas might have trouble recalling their dreams in the morning. So if you're like, I never remember that's a Vata dosha characteristic. Common time to wake up is between two and six. And that's for anyone. If you're waking up between two and six, that's that Vata time of day. And often it means that you're somewhere ungrounded in your life. Um, you might have those racing thoughts and there's, there's something going on that you want to deal with. And then finally, Vata doshas might not need, or might feel like they don't need a lot of sleep, but they actually need the most of any dosha. They actually need between eight and 10 hours, but often they'll be like, oh, I can get by on five, but usually they actually really need that deep sleep to help calm that Vata dosha. Okay. Next we're going to talk about pittas. So pittas generally sleep well, um, but maybe somewhat lightly. So usually again, of all the ones, um, you know, this is kind of like your nice medium sleeper. They prefer a firmer bed and fewer covers just because their body um, heat tends to be a little bit higher. And pitta types can often um, forgo sleep. Now, why? Because they're working, they're deadlines. You know, they feel like I'm going to skip sleep for tonight or I'm going to push it back um, because I have stuff to do. But really, eight hours is what they need. So eight hours is kind of the best set for them. Dreams can be a bit fiery, vivid, and again, active. Sometimes it can be hard 
for pittas to fall asleep because their mind is racing. So they got lots of thoughts. And again, this tends to be work thoughts. They're just kind of racing through all of the things they have to do. And I'll just give an example. I myself, um, well, I tend to go between a vata and pitta for my sleep and my pitta. I have a piece of paper that I need by my bed because sometimes, you know, like last night I had five things that I wanted to get done the next day. And I knew if I didn't write them down, um, I'd be stewing on, stewing on them and trying to fall asleep and it wasn't going to happen. So I just make sure I write things down, have it next to my bed. So it's there. So maybe that's something that you do if you're someone who also, um, might lay down and then realize, oh, I, I have to do these other things or I have to write them down. So I don't forget. And then finally, waking up between 10 and two can be the pitta sign. So that again is the time when you're most likely to go through your REM sleep. And so if you're missing that time, um, you know, we want to evaluate this time. Usually it's something, um, a to-do list or something at work. This can be that time of day where you're really trying to get things done. Um, and that's why it's a good thing to process right before bed for pittas. And then rounding out with our kapha dosha. Kapha doshas tend to be the heavier sleepers and they can just sleep anywhere anytime. My husband is definitely a kapha sleeper. Um, he tends to have a little bit more kapha and pitta in him, but this is him to the T. Sorry, my printer just went off and I I'm home alone right now recording this. And I was like, Oh my goodness, is someone in my house? I'm all right though. All right. So that's a good little Vata, a little Vata fright there. But so anywho, so those sleepers, you know, my husband just slept, um, you know, he can go up on a Sunday afternoon and just go to sleep like three o'clock and sleep until nine o'clock. And then he'll get up for a few hours and then go back to bed. That is just not how I'm wired. I cannot do that. So that's a very kapha sleep cycle. And they tend to, again, love their beds. So they like big, comfy, soft cushions, a nice, um, soothing bedroom atmosphere. Cause they like to spend time there and just relax. Now they also feel like they need the most amount of sleep but they really don't. They actually need the least amount. So a kapha seven to eight hours is good because you've all had that. You know, we've had this too. If you're not a kapha dosha, but kaphas for sure do when they get up, they're like, Oh, I slept in. Maybe your alarm went off at five and you decided to sleep another hour and you got up and you felt even more groggy. That's the kapha. It's that stuck stagnant energy. So you had to kind of shake it off. So that's, so that's again, where that, you know, waking up around 6am is best. And um, the kapha time of day is between 6 and 10 a.m. and p.m. And so making sure that they fall asleep within that window, you know, going to bed by 10 and then again, getting up by six just to kind of keep that kapha dosha happy. And then as far as dreams, kapha doshas are calm, smooth, watery, and then sometimes emotional. So it could be like, oh, that was a tearjerker. You have something that kind of pulls at your heartstrings. So those are a little bit about the doshas and um, how they sleep. And again, we're going to talk more sleep hygiene, um, in a future episode. All right. So I'm just going to review our pillars, um, because that one is a little bit longer of a section that I wanted to go over, but pillar number one for our six pillars of health was avoid substances such, such as drugs and alcohol. Number two, focusing on sleep. Now we're up to number three, which is stress management. So we all know how bad stress can be on our bodies. You know, we feel depleted, tired anxious, um, weight gain. We might eat things that we don't want to eat. You know, we're trying to get that energy. So we're maybe having that sugary snack or, you know, pop in the middle of the afternoon to kind of give us that caffeine. So how are some, um, Ayurvedic ways that we can kind of deal with this stress yoga, meditation, pranayama, working out yoga, nidra color, draw, or other artistic endeavors talk with someone, 
go for a walk or repetitive movements um, such as dancing or just kind of um, your cat cow child's pose. You're just kind of flowing through something, calming down the mind. So often, again, I've, I think I've talked about this maybe on a podcast, but for sure I have on my Instagram of um, that fight or flight that sometimes that, that Vata can be so really just flight that sitting down and trying to meditate is actually going to make it worse. So that's where we want to do those repetitive motions where we're dancing, where we go for a walk to calm down the body. So it can really sink. Your mind can then actually start to calm down because the body starts to just move some of that anxious energy out. So that's why I said, you know, meditation sometimes works, but it depends on, you know, kind of your normal tendency is meaning, you know, if the vatas again, tend to be fight or flight, for me, I know I tend to be flight. So for me to stick down and hunker down and push through, sometimes I need that, but sometimes I need to just shake and move and dance. So kind of know where you're at in that scale. All right. Pillar number four, we might all know this one nutrition. So this is one that I think, um, the Western system might be a bit broken. Um, there's just so many diets and they're meant to sell you on the next big thing and get you the results, um, which ends up taking you further away from your own intuitive nudges. And I think we've gotten to the place where we just don't even trust ourselves anymore about what to eat because, you know, we're, we see ads on TV for things and for diets and, you know, we should do keto, we should do paleo, we should do, um, intermittent fasting, you know, what's the best thing for me is to hop on a plan where someone tells me what to do. And then at the end we leave the plan. And then maybe we, that's when like, for example, with my mom, you know, she, I've talked about this before, but she has done weight watchers and she'll stick to the plan. As soon as it's done, then she gains the weight back. And that's been a cycle pretty much her whole life since I've, um, you know, remember, you know, being a teenager, And that's something that I see a lot, you know, with people is you're on it for a while, you get off, and then we don't know how to trust ourselves, or we think that was it. We just needed to follow it for that short plan instead of just really figuring out what is the best way for us to eat for our life, not just for the short six week window or 12 week period. So here are some Ayurvedic nutrition tips, early lighter dinners, trying to be done eating by six, maybe having some soup or cooked vegetables. Lunch is your largest meal. Cooked veggies versus raw veggies, drinking room temperature water. And then the final one, because a lot of people ask about like, what should I eat for my dosha? Paying attention to the qualities of your food and how they make you feel. So instead of diving into a list of like, here's what I can and can't have, really look at the qualities. So spicy, hot foods might make that pitta dosha go out of balance because a pitta again is associated with that fire elements and tends to be a little bit, they run warmer. So if we have those things, might not be the best for pitta. Light, dry foods can make that vata dosha come out of balance. So if we think of that vata, it's the air, it's the ether qualities. And so if we're having those lighter, drier foods, that's going to make that vata dosha start to feel light and start to feel maybe a little bit drifty. And the dry foods um, can start making vata doshas a little bit more constipated. And then finally, for the kapha, that balance, the, the heavy and the rich foods can weigh down the kapha. So a lot of the sugary foods, the, the pastas, the breads, um, you know, that can just, they're associated with the earth and water qualities. And so that can really feel heavy and dense in their bodies. So paying attention to what you're eating and how it's making you feel is going to be the best bet for a long-term nutrition um, plan for yourself. And it does take trust and it does take time. You know, this is something that is not an easy fix. This is something you're constantly unraveling 
you know, probably year after year for the rest of your life. Like this is something that you're not just going to be on autopilot. I mean, I will just say probably because I've worked in the wellness space for 14 years and countless people that I've worked with, you know, and some for 10 years, my going on 10 years right now. Um, it's just something that we're always, this it's always evolving. You know, I work with some seniors and this is something that it's evolving for them. Like my grandma who's 95, for example, she had 23 centimeters of her small intestine removed last year. She's had to change the way she eats, you know, at, at 50, I think she was diagnosed with diabetes. And so she had to change the way she was eating, you know, and these are just things that happen throughout a lifetime. Like, um, you know, we never know, we can't plan. So for us to think this is how I'm going to eat for the rest of my life is just not realistic for many people. You know, in general, we want to know how these food make us feel and how they do right now might not be the same and how they do 10 years from now, because maybe, you know, you could handle, and you hear this all the time. People are like, Oh, I used to be able to handle the spicy and the hot foods, but now I can't. And so really paying attention to how your body is processing the foods is going to be the key Um, I believe to kind of breaking through some of that nutrition, um, the diet, the diet industry, I guess. Okay. Pillar number five, connectedness. So this one I thought was wonderful. And one that, um, is in Dan Buettner's the blue zone. If you've ever read the blue zone book and his cookbooks, which are also wonderful. And these are where he researched and he had found that countries, um, live longer when they have a connection to a community. The community could be the religious institution that they're involved in, the neighborhood they live in, um, friend group, family, yoga studio, whatever that looks like, but they feel like they're part of something. And how much this past, what now, I guess, year and a half, you know, has really shown us that, you know, once we've all been kind of at home is we're missing some of that community. We're missing those places where we gather with other people and online, it gives us some of that sense but it doesn't give us that true connected feeling that I think it's hard to describe, but we know it, you know, cause I, again, I think it's been ripped from us over the past year and a half and it's slowly starting to come back, but it's still not quite there yet. And so that's kind of where we are navigating. Like, how do we, how do we balance the digital, you know, cause it's great to connect online. I have some amazing friends, um, you know, that I can only see via Instagram because they don't live near me. And that's a great way to stay connected. But I also really value my relationship with going in to teach a yoga class every Tuesday and just seeing people and being in community with people um, and breathing together and working through, you know, our poses. So that's just something to kind of think about too, is where can you find that connection? And maybe that's something that you want to work on, you know, this next year is, okay, that's a pillar that I feel like I really have dropped the ball on. And I really want to pick that back up. Okay. Our final pillar, pillar number six, which you probably might guess this one. We haven't talked about it. Movement, physical activity. So what are we doing for our bodies in terms of, um, you know, lubrication? So some of the best ways for Ayurveda, what they recommend is, um, well, they recommend working out between six and 10 AM is ideal. Cause again, that's the kapha time of day, but my trainer side of me says, you know what? Sometimes people they can't, you know, if they have to get to work super early and the only time they can work out is six o'clock after work and they can easily fall asleep, go ahead. You know, however you get your movement in, get your movement in. So what are some ways that we can do this in Ayurveda walking daily, you know, just getting outside yoga asana. So rolling out that yoga mat working out. So if you're lifting weights, any hit workouts, cardios, dances, work out until you break a slight sweat. 
and then you'll take down your tempo. So that doesn't deplete the ojas. During the winter months, you can maybe work out a bit more intense. So if someone really does like the pittas really enjoy the hits and the harder classes, the winter time is the best to do that because it's cooler outside. And so your body's able to handle the heat a little bit better. And then the pitta time of year, which is summer, that's when we don't want to work out quite as hard because the sun is the hottest and can really aggravate that pitta dosha, um, overheating you, making you more prone to quick judgment, snap things, um, and just kind of harsh language, I guess. So that's kind of physical activity in a nutshell. I think I talk about that quite a bit in the podcast. So that's where I'm going to leave you on that one. So just a quick recap on what the six pillars are avoiding substances, substances. I cannot say that word today, (laughs) um, drugs and alcohol, uh, focusing on your sleep, stress management, nutrition, connectedness, and then physical activity. So those were the six pillars that Mayo Clinic had discovered, um, can reduce chronic disease by 70 to 80% when followed. So that is something that maybe you want to explore a little bit more in your life. Again, I would pick one category if there's a couple that are sticky to you and start there, you know, really hone in on one category and then add that next category. All right. And if this is something that you want support on, um, you know, feel free to send me an email, send me a DM on Instagram at seasonal living mamas, and we can chat um, farther. I always do 20 minutes, um, free Ayurvedic consult intake calls just to see if you would be a good fit for Ayurvedic coaching. But everything that I talked about today, this is stuff that I work with, um, with many of my clients, all six of these are pillars that we hit. All right. Thank you all so much and go out there and spread your peaceful power.